Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Work Stories is a place for women of color to share their experiences in the workplace. We're no longer whispering these stories to our best friends and partners and then shoving them to the backs of our minds and just dealing. We're talking about bias, equal pay, bad bosses, racist hiring practices, and all the crazy things your coworkers have done or said to you. This is a safe place to tell those stories. The floor is open, y'all. We are telling it all. Today, you're going to be hearing from Maggie. We're going to be talking about her experiences as an Asian woman in sports journalism, in Utah nonetheless, and her pivot into higher education, and how these days she's only letting work take up so much space in her brain. Yeah. So I guess let's start off, tell the audience a little bit about you. So my name is Maggie. I live in San Diego, California. I work in higher ed. I think if you know this about me, you know me, which is I'm the first daughter of refugee parents and I'm a writer. So like I started out in journalism, did some other types of writing, have become a teacher. And now I work in, you know, higher ed, helping students become better writers. But those two identities like inform the most the way I see the world. So how, as a writer, did you kind of make it to higher ed? Maybe all kids of refugee or immigrant parents experience this, which is like, if you go to college, you got to know what you want to do. You can't just waste time you know like our parents came to this country to make better lives for their children so like children feel that they bear that expectation of you know like I gotta make my life good that's why my parents came to this country so I think like very early on I decided what I wanted to do I was really drawn to sports and I really like writing but you know like for any kid from an immigrant or refugee family there's also stability stability needs to be in the mix somewhere I thought okay newspapers you know, like they run every day. There's a newspaper, there's a big newspaper in every city. So that was like my logic, like 15 year old Maggie, that was my logic. So since then I had wanted to be a sports journalist and that's, that's what I was getting out of college. What did your parents say to that? Like me having the same background, I'm thinking that had to maybe be a nightmare for them because (laughs) what we know now is newspapers are crazy and unpredictable. You know, I feel really lucky that my parents their expectations weren't like you need to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. It was like, you can do what you want, but you have to know what you want. Don't meander around. Don't switch majors. Like just don't waste time. So then I guess, what was your first job out of college then? So I was um, a high school sports reporter for um, the biggest newspaper in Utah. So I lived in Salt Lake City. It was fun. I covered high school, um, high school sports, collegiate sports, professional sports, and 
I mean, that was an experience like being like a young woman of color living in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that. It felt like walking into like a conversation that had already been going on and I didn't have all the context that that's how it felt living in in Salt Lake City. Like, you know, obviously there's like a really dominant culture, like a Mormon culture. And it's really interesting to see how that intersects in sports, you know, because I feel like sports was like a really like an outlet. Uh, like a safe outlet. You know what I mean? Like it's a place where you can show your emotion. It's a place you can be mad and be passionate, you know? Um, But outside of like the job really took over my life. That was my identity. That's who I was. That's what I did. Like I didn't really have a life outside of that. And I think part of it was, it was hard for me to find like footing socially in Salt Lake City, you know? Um, So I, I wasn't a part of this culture. That seems really hard to start off your career like that. Being so young, you're so impressionable. You know, your brain is still really developing (laughs) right out of school. Um, And it just seems like a really vulnerable time to feel like an outsider or left out of any way. Yeah, absolutely. I really feel like that first job you have at a college, it really sets the tone for your whole professional life. However you were treated in that first job at a college, like that's how you think the world works. So if they treated you well, if you, um, if the work-life balance was bad or, or what, whatever you took in that first job or experience, that's really how you view your professional life. And I have found like kind of trying out different fields because uh, I've moved on from journalism is that I had to really examine examine and unpack what happened to me when I was a journalist and try to be like, oh, that's not how work is supposed to be. Like your work's not supposed to take over your life. You know, Um, it's not supposed to be the totality of who you are. And I really like leaned on that, like, oh, I'm a sports writer. You know, like that's that's how I would introduce myself, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it was really hard when I left journalism to let go of that title because I was like, who who am I without that title? Do you feel like that's part of the culture in your newsroom or do you feel like that's part of journalism culture as a whole? I think it's specific to sports journalism, okay. you know, because it seems fun. And, you know, I, I can't say that it's not like that for other aspects of the newsroom or different newsrooms across the country. But at the paper I was at, like sports is glamorous, you know, it's fun and like it's not seen as work. So I think there's like a big like that's supposed to be the payoff for the long hours for the low pay. So I think that that can be really toxic, you know, and I didn't realize it till like later, but that was definitely drilled in my head. Like this is fun. So many people would love to have your job. So like, what do you have to complain about? That feels like a manipulation tactic. Kind of like when you get a big internship, you know, Mm -hmm. at like a major company or something and they just guilt you into doing everything because there's a thousand kids who want your spot. Like, Oh, Absolutely. (laughs) All the time I got the message, like somebody behind you is ready to take your job in for less. So that's definitely how I felt. And yeah, like there are so many unpaid internships and it's like, yeah, because you get the experience, (laughs) you know, like experience is supposed to pay the bills or like pay for your rent or connections or your love for it. I feel like are all manipulation tactics, right? Like you know, you don't worry about the pay. You you're you're enriching your life. So how could you be like concerned about something as minuscule as pay? You know, I feel like that's how we look at it. Right, right. Did you have moments where you tried to say something? Yeah, I I just feel like this is like a commonality with a lot of children of immigrant or refugee parents. Is like you 
don't talk back, <laughs> you know, like you are seen and not heard. Like if I spoke up, it was like to help the situation. So to speak up like at staff meetings or to be like, hey, I've worked already 40 hours this week. So why am I covering this other game? Like to me, that felt like I was causing trouble if I spoke out in that way. So coming into it, I wanted to, I wanted people to look at me like she's eager, she's willing. And I just didn't think speaking up or challenging fit into that narrative. And I really wanted to be like that person who just like was willing to do anything to become better. So I really kind of suppressed that voice. Like even if I did want to say anything, I didn't have one, the courage and two, like the words, you know, like the, just how to articulate a certain feeling or even recognize like, oh, this is not something I'm comfortable with or or yeah, I wonder if there's there's another way to think about this. It does feel like there's a certain way you have to say things like, obviously, as we all go through our careers, we learn a lot of HR language. So when we are advocating for ourselves, we say things very technically and like mm-hmm. advocate for ourselves in a way that is understood by senior leadership and HR and all of that. Yeah. And it's so funny that I, now that I think back on my that time in my life, I was like, oh, I want to sound like this, this guy or this guy. He's been at you know, the, the newspaper for this long and he's really respected. And like all those guys that I was trying to sound like, I was like, you know, why, why was I trying to sound like a middle-aged white man? Like why was I trying to sound like a young woman of color who has like a different perspective on life? You know, like I just really was trying to fit into that box because it goes back to stability. Mm-hmm. You want to be in people's good graces and like speaking up or like challenging seems dangerous in a sense. Yeah. This feels like side effects of first generation, like how you described wanting to be an easy child. And so that how that translates through your life. I mean, really all aspects, I'm thinking all relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, not wanting to rock the boat, but also probably having to teach yourself to flip that, right? Like because you have something to say or because you'd like to bring up a point doesn't make you hard either. Yeah, it really is like one of my childhood traumas. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then like the flip side of that is like, I don't want to make anybody else feel like a burden. So it's also like me taking on a bunch of things, right? To make people feel like if they ask me for a favor, like, oh no, yeah, I totally can do that. When I'm really like, oh no, that I have to go out of my way. You know, so it like works both ways. I don't want to be the burden, but I don't want other people to feel like they are too. Yeah, that's deep. So when when you were in that job, do you feel like the people around you, particularly these older white guys you were working around, did they feel like it was an asset, you know, your background and you being a woman particularly, right? You know, did they think that was cool and they wanted to give you a lot of stories and opportunities or did they downplay your knowledge? You know, it's really interesting the way I wound up in Salt Lake City because like I actually was a part of this program. Like the whole point of the program was to increase like women and people of color in newsrooms across the country. Oh, okay. So I, that's how I got introduced to that newsroom. And I think like, this is where I want to say like, just me being naive and just, just not having a lot of experience. Like I didn't really know what that meant. Like I didn't view my diversity as an asset. I actually saw it like, oh, I'm so lucky that I happen to check these boxes that these newsrooms are looking for. I don't know why they're looking for this, but okay. You know, like I, <laughs> I didn't understand how valuable different perspectives were and that I had a different perspective. I was like, oh, here's like a foot in the door mm-hmm. and I don't know how I got here, but okay, like I'm going to walk through it and then I'm going to do what all these other white people before me have done so that I can be successful like them. That that was my mindset. Yeah. 
diversity is so important. We want to represent a lot of different perspectives, but the day-to-day does not reflect that. <laughs> you know, like I don't remember ever, and maybe I'm shortchanging like some of my editors, but I do not remember being asked like, what do you think of this? Or like, how, how does this look from your lens? I just don't remember that people were curious about that from me. And maybe it was like the environment where it was like, then you should have said something. But again, that my upbringing taught me to be like, yes, I can do that story. Not necessarily. And what about this other story? You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. I I totally get why you would, why you would do that. And, and it was probably easier for your editor and everyone else Mm -hmm. around knowing that not only would you not say anything, but they could give you extra work or if they, Mm -hmm. you know, couldn't make that game, you'd cover it because you're so helpful. (laughs) Yeah. And another thing that like, I felt like I was exploited was that, you know, it's like so family friendly. And the fact that I didn't have a family, you know, I was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, Maggie can do it. (laughs) That ageism creeps in for sure. Right. And then it's like, and then it's framed as like, oh, you need to pay your dues. That was something Mm -hmm. for sure I heard. Yeah. But how long do you pay them? I know. Exactly. (laughs) Is there an end date? (laughs) How long do I have to, how many seasons of girl soccer, high school soccer do I have to cover? You know? Because honestly, in your thirties, people tell you that too. And you're like, so is it like, oh, I have to be 72. (laughs) By the time I'm 72, I would have paid them. Uh, Give me an end date. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And you know, like I have, like, I know that the person behind me, like that took my role after I left. I found out like he, Covered the Olympics, like the London Olympics. And I was like, how, what? Like, it just, it just really made me examine, like, is that because I was afraid to ask? Do you know what I mean? Like, is that, Mm -hmm. was I not aggressive enough? Or, you know, it was a, it was a white dude who, who took over for me, but I was like, okay, so he took over for me. I was the girl's high school beat writer. How do you go to the Olympics? You know? So it really made me think about like, this is what it costs you to be silent. You know, like you just stay in the same place all the time or people don't view you as someone who is motivated or wants to move up. So knowing that like had a big impact on me. Yep. I mean, a lot of it is the system. I would say most of it is probably the system, but there is a percentage that we do have to take responsibility for just being novices at what we were doing and not knowing to speak up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, societally, that white guy who came in could have been the same age you were when you came in, had already been taught to speak up because he was privileged enough to get those lessons. And his family, you know, were doing the same things, things your parents couldn't do. No, absolutely. And I'm just thinking about how, like, I was in journalism like a while ago. And it was always like, it's about your ideas, your ideas. And I was like, yeah, I have ideas, but I didn't know how to voice them. I didn't know how to advocate for them. I didn't know how to sell it, you know, like, and I think those are things that in my upbringing, I missed out on because I was taught like, those are not good things to do. You do not do those things, you know, but that's what was valued in my career. And I didn't know how to do those things. Yeah. Tell us about how you pivoted to higher ed and what led to that. It wasn't like a straight shot, you know, it was like a pretty circuitous way that I got to higher ed. So I left journalism because honestly, I was just tired. I just couldn't see like a future in it. Like, okay, if I want to have kids or it just felt like a grind. And I just felt like I was just like writing the same story over and over. So what I realized was like, I enjoyed writing. Like writing has always been like a place of comfort for me. Like English was my second language. So writing is, has always been like where I feel most comfortable more than the spoken word. Um, So writing kind of like stayed the constant. And I tried a couple of different things. I tried like copy editing. I tried freelancing. I actually like taught English or 
abroad. Oh, wow. Came back, became an SAT teacher for like the humanities section. So just a lot of different jobs. They all revolve around words somehow. Um, And then I ended up at like a writing center in higher ed. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people probably know the structure of a writing center. Like who do you report to? What's your day-to-day like? Give us a little overview on that. So I recently just started a different job. It's in like a similar field. Uh, It's all like academic support. It's kind of like you report to the director, but then there's like a director above that, like a hub within something bigger, you know, like maybe it's like academic resources, but then within that there's like humanities and science and math. Mm -hmm. So it can get pretty like intertwined and like kind of confusing because it's like, who do I report to? Like who makes the final decisions? But yeah, with different units on campus, it can just depend on the structure of that particular unit. So as you, you know, have been in the writing center and, you know, adjacent jobs, what stuck out to you about your trajectory, the way you've been treated? You know, what experiences have you had? Yeah, you know, I think like this idea that like your job shouldn't define you, you know, or be like the main thing about your identity. Um, I've had experiences where I've been like thinking about that concept a lot, right? Because when I first got into the field, I was like, this is great. You know, like I'm a writer, I work at a writing center, make makes sense, right? But I do think it is, you know, like it can be detrimental to tie your passion into your professional life like that, you know? there are no boundaries and um, it, it bleeds over. And I like was moving on in like a different phase of my life. You know, I was becoming a mom. I was getting married, you know, like I needed like the separation and I didn't realize how much I needed like that separation from my professional life. And that's what I mean by like, I had to like unpack and kind of examine a lot of what happened to me when I was a journalist right out of college, because I thought that was the dream, right. To be passionate about what you, uh, about your job. And so like, I was like, oh, I need to be passionate about my job every day because it's a writing center and I'm a writer and like, yes, you know, but when things started to go like sideways, like with like my colleagues or, or my manager, like I felt like I was failing, you know, cause I was like this, jo- I'm not passionate about this job. I do not love all aspects of this job. You know, like it just like rocked my sense of identity a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that, that's something like, uh, that's a realization that I came to like in, in this, like working in higher ed is like, you know, your passion. I don't think that should be like the number one thing about how you choose a job or like, even like that factors into like job happiness. You know what I mean? It's like, are you fulfilled? Do you like it? You know, like, but passion, I feel like it just like leads into that manipulative, like, but aren't you passionate about it? I mean, I hear it all the time in higher ed. Like we got to be there for the students. Aren't you passionate about helping students? And it's like, does that mean I'm here till like seven? Like, cause I can't be. I can't <laughs> yeah. Be what define passion. <laughs> what does it mean? Yeah. Like, so I'm here. So one student can ask me where the bathroom is. Like, <laughs> No, like, so I just feel like it's just like a a blanket statement of like, don't you love this job? Like, don't you, can't you give more, you know? I mean, I feel like that has been something people have been talking about that not putting everything into your job. Um, I think there was a period of time where it was all about like going hard and like, you know, wake up, grind, go to sleep. You don't even need to sleep. You can sleep and you're dead. Like there was a period where everybody was about overworking and just like, 
climbing this made up ladder. I don't even know where they were climbing to, but you know, <laughs> this we're kind of talking a little bit more about, you know, you're going to have really good weeks where mm-hmm. you feel very productive and you're excited about what you're doing. And you're going to have weeks where you're just doing the bare minimum. You're just like shuffling the papers around, answering the emails, you know, doing the, what you need to do, like basically your job description, right? Because yeah. as we all know, most of the time, you know, people want you to do more than your job description. Um, what what should people do if they feel like they're in kind of this like hamster wheel of constant work, the next big thing, the next huge project, the next level of expectation, promotion, then repeat, mm-hmm. you know, well, how do you get off of this ride? I That I would like, honestly, like challenge the person to question, is this the job for you? <laughs> you know, like, is this, like, cause it doesn't get any better. It doesn't ever let up, you know, like in my, in my job, I work a lot with students and I really try to like model things that like, I think is healthy for them. You know, like things that like as an 18 year old, I would have been like, Oh, I, I didn't think about that. And like, one of them was like, speak up for yourself, you know, mm-hmm. like be communicative. There's a way to, to communicate like, Hey, I'm overwhelmed. And I just, I'm going to take a light, you know, like I like oversee like student employees and I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like, thanks for letting me know. Let's keep in contact. You know, it's like be communicative. Um, but I also think like you have to know your own boundaries, you know, like mm-hmm. definitely there was a time in my life. Yeah. Like in my early twenties, like I, I can have like five hours of sleep. I can work 60 hours a week, you know, but you really have to like do a self-assessment. Like what, what can I handle? Um, what can, at what point does like my level of work drop off? I think it's like kind of looking internally to be like, what's, what feels right and what doesn't feel right here and what is in my capacity to like confront and fix. Cause if not, like, then I'm like, you know, I would totally be a proponent for like a student employee of mine to be like, maybe you need a different position then. Like maybe we need to think about that. Cause like, I think our, in our professional lives, we need to like take care of ourselves. You know, we need to think about like, what is, is this Mm -hmm. fulfilling us? Is this helping us? Otherwise we're just robots and miserable ones at that. Yeah. Yeah. So are you in the perfect job for you? Is there something better for you? Where, where are you going next? Yeah. So I just started a new job and it's like, it's very similar to the work I did before, which is like perfect because it was like the work I really liked, but it was like the relationships that was really hard. That's what I was moving on from. Okay. Um, you know, like you hear a lot, like people are not leaving their jobs. They're leaving their bosses. Right. Right. <laughs> but- that was that was that totally rang true for me. So um, I kind of like was in a really good position and really good timing to move to another unit, still on the same campus, but does similar work with like a particular focus on first gen, low income students. So. For me, that's like where the passion is. Like, that's where I want my passion to be. Not like I want to be more productive, but like, who am I serving? Like, who Mm -hmm. am I supporting? What student populations? Like, that's how I view passion now. Not necessarily like, I love this job. This job is who I am. Mm -hmm. It's like, here are all my life experiences that contribute to how I can do my job well. And then I'm going to leave it there. (laughs) Then I'm going to go home to my husband and son, you know? So I've only been on this new job for maybe like five weeks. I'm not sure if it's the perfect job, but it feels 
comfortable. It feels like I'm being valued. It feels like a place to grow. And I think that's all I can ask for in a workplace. Like, I don't want the perfect workplace. I don't think it exists. Right. <laughs> I don't think so either. I don't. I just want like transparency, communication, collegiality, and, you know, like th- those are the things that matter to me because I'm only going to allow work to take up so much of my brain space. Yeah. If people are looking to set boundaries for themselves, what percentage of your life should work take up? What do you think about that? For me, I think about like the different roles that I want to embody, right? So one is like mom. So I have like a a three and a half year old son. One is partner. I have, you know, I have a husband. Um, I also live in an intergenerational household. So my parents live with me. My disabled brother lives with me. So I have roles of daughter and sister. Mm. Um, I also want to be a writer. I want to protect that space of mine. Um, And then I like, I like to play sports. So I'm an athlete. So these are the things like I want to do, right? These are the things that I need to keep in my life to be like happy. That's what I consider like my holistic self. Like I'm these things. Yeah. And then it's like being very realistic with the time that I have. Like, okay, it's going to be a busy day at work. I only have like two hours of free time. Like, do I want to go play volleyball or do I want to spend time with my my son? <laughs> you know, like, and then making sure that I scale back work on another day. So it's like, where on that priority list is worker for you? Yes. You know? <laughs> So it's like mom, partner, you know, daughter, sister, writer, you know, like all these things that worker, yeah, workers in there, but it's not, it's definitely not in the top three, you know, maybe it's like, I mean, from what you've said, maybe 10% for you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or just like, I'm here and I'm going to do my job and I care about it. And that's what it's taking from me right now. That's it. You know, like I think what I realized Um, And I'm trying to undo all the time is like, as you know, that budding journalist coming out of school, it's like you put so much pressure on yourself, you know, like I need a, I need more bylines or I need to talk to more people or, you know, I think that's like the worst kind of manipulation is like you create like bad managers create the environment where you put the pressure on yourself. They're not putting pressure on you. That's what keeps you like kind of like always frantic. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think like undoing that and being like, are you putting this pressure on yourself? What's going on here? You know, like, are you doing what you need to do? Like have open communication with your manager, with your colleagues, and just like really take assessment of like what's going on with you, what's going on with like things that you want to define you. And yeah, make sure work fits in there. But if it's not in your top three, then like, why are we going to live like it's our top three? Right. <laughs> you know, like, why are we going to run our lives as if it's like one of the one of the top priorities? There's ebbs and flows with that, right? Like, um, before you were a mother and a partner, maybe mm-hmm. it was more like 25%, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe after you no longer have your child in the household, it might change again. Like, you yeah. know, there's, there's different moments, but figuring out, I guess, every day or maybe reassess every year, you know, where am I this year? It's really constant, you know, like a check-in with yourself. Right now, like I'm in the headspace of like intentionality. Like, let's just be intentional about things. Like, let's be intentional about the the way we make decisions, the way we like go about our day. And so I think it's just an aspect of intentionality, you know, like, is this where I want to be? Is is this the project I want to be doing right now? Is this the amount of time I want to be working on this? Because it's, it's hard to like keep yourself accountable to that all the time. But I do think like it's to your benefit in the long run because we need to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Way better than we have been. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm sure there's somebody right now that's like, yep, I needed to hear this and I need to reassess <laughs> my life right now. <laughs> For sure. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Work Stories. 
If you have a work story that you're just dying to share, definitely reach out to us. You can find us on social media at workstories, W-E-R-K, stories, or you can always email us at workstories21 at gmail.com. Have a great week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.